Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? Have you ever driven up or down the I-81 corridor? Have you ever been to the East Coast? Statistically speaking, most people in the United States should say yes to one of those questions. Washington, D.C. is a popular tourist destination and spot for both government, obviously, and industry. The I-81 corridor is one of the most heavily trafficked highway systems in the United States. And most of the population of the country lives within a day's drive of the area that we're talking about. And that means that most people in the country live within a day's drive of Shenandoah National Park. Now, we're not talking about Shenandoah National Park specifically today, but it's a good focal point for why you should fish in the Shenandoah, which is the park, the rivers that bear the same name, and the region that's around it. One of the reasons why it's so remarkable is because this wild and wonderful place is only about an hour and a half from the metropolitan sprawl that is Northern Virginia and Washington, D.C. And once you get there, you have a real feeling of being out there. It's still a wild place. You, you have a lot of solitude moments after being in a crowd of people, which is a remarkable thing. Something else that I might mention later is that it's also a place that's been lived in. It's an old place. There's remnants of culture that you still find even when you're deep in the woods, which makes especially this part of Appalachia something unique and different and worth spending time in. But the very first fish that anglers should think of when they think of Shenandoah is brook trout. Brook trout are the native char of Virginia and of the East Coast. And they are found in great quantities in Shenandoah National Park. There are browns and rainbows too, especially in the lower reaches of some of the larger streams. 
and that's either because the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries continues to stock them in certain stretches or from stockings that occurred in generations past and they still linger on. But by and large, um, the, the predominant fish is the brook trout and the most sought after fish is the brook trout in these mountain streams. And although there are significant differences between streams on the east side of the park and the west side of the park, and there are differences as you get outside of the park regarding the nature of the streams, these are prototypical mountain brook trout streams. There's a gradient, there's some streams that have more and less, some streams that are uh, more rocky than others, some that are larger, um, that uh, you have to cast across uh, literally, others that you can hop across very, very easily, even in their lower stretches. But one of the things that unites virtually every one of those streams is the presence of good numbers of brook trout. And something else that unites them is that they virtually all have a very, very high biomass of foodstuffs for these fish to feed on, which produces not just a great quantity of trout, but in some of the larger rivers, there's a carrying capacity for some larger trout. Now, I'm not some great trout whisperer, but I have fished for brookies from South Carolina all the way up to Maine, and with the exception of a few really special rivers, the largest brook trout I've caught have been in and around Shenandoah National Park. It doesn't mean some sort of huge trophy, but a 12-inch brook trout is in many ways in a mountain trout stream a trophy. And you do have the option to catch fish like this in some of these rivers, but you are going to have to work for it. Again, as I mentioned, you're an hour and a half from northern Virginia. Lots of people are here and a lot of people fish. So it's not going to be as easy as pulling off the side of the road, casting a woolly bugger or a royal wolf, and catching 12 and 14 inch brook trout. For those fish, you are going to have to work. And they, they exist and people catch them all the time, but it's not going to be as easy as just hopping in the river and casting. To find those fish and to find fish that haven't been fished over, you're going to have to hike which is a wonderful thing because the Appalachians in general and Shenandoah um, in particular is some beautiful, beautiful country. And as you move further up the streams, you do find more solitude. As you move over into a tributary, you're going to find even more solitude. But Shenandoah National Park has a really interesting opportunity for anglers, and that is that they don't have to park at the bottom of the mountain. Skyline Drive weaves its way from um, south to north or north to south, depending on your orientation, um, through the park. It's about a 100-mile long drive, and it is a road that you have to pay a fee to get on. So as part of the national park, there's a, there's a fee structure, but what this also does is it cuts down on traffic. Uh, if you're there in the fall for leaves, you will laugh at the sentiment that Skyline Drive has anything to do with cutting down traffic. But under normal circumstances, taking Skyline Drive, you're able to go and park on the top of a ridge and walk down the mountainside to start fishing. This is very different for most circumstances where, where most of us are parking at the bottom and working our way up. But by parking at the top and working down, you're able to move into stretches that probably aren't getting the same sort of access, both because uh, it takes more work and also you'd have to pay to get up there. But, and this isn't the formal recommendation for the episode, but definitely get an America the Beautiful Pass. If you're going to be in um, national parks, wildlife refuges, national forests, and I think also um, Army Corps of Engineers properties, 
um, for a relatively modest price, I think 80 bucks, you have an entire year's access to, um, to national parks and, and the other places that I mentioned. Um, just this summer, in uh, the first month of owning it, we went to three national parks um, and a wildlife refuge and a national forest, and it paid for itself twice over, and that was just in a month. Anyway, so you have the opportunity to do that at uh, Skyline Drive in Shenandoah National Park, accessing these brook trout streams. You do have to walk a ways. I mean, on the top of the, the, the ridge, they're not going to be 12 feet wide with holding, you know, six to eight inch fish. You have to move down a ways until the rivers get to a size suitable for fly fishing. But it's a, it's a unique and interesting experience. At the bottom of the, uh, the rivers, you have um, not a lot of parking areas. Some of the rivers, some of the larger rivers do, you know, the, the dozen car pull-off spot. But a lot of the rivers, there's a small trailhead, and the access is based upon an easement with a landowner. And so you might only have one or two spots that are on the side of the road. So you're not going to have the sort of congestion you would have on some places that don't have as many uh, trout streams. That being said, there's enough trout streams, dozens and dozens of trout streams on either side of the main ridge that makes up Shenandoah National Park that are worth fishing. So if you pull up to a spot and there's a pickup truck with trout uh, company stickers all over the back of it, you're able to drive five, ten minutes and find another place that you can fish. But the brook trout fishing is spectacular. Um, depending on the time of the year, they are incredibly eager to rise to dry flies. And if not, switching to a subsurface pattern, um, whether it be a big chunky stonefly or a helgramite, you're able to get into lots of fish as long as you um, work deliberately and slowly and don't cast sloppily. Um, although they are brook trout and although they are hungry, they do see other anglers. And so uh, you are going to have to be conscientious. As I as I've said before, with most of my mountain brook trout fishing, I like fishing a seven foot rod um, and either three or four weight. I think it lets me fish how I want, whether it be a small dry fly or a small stream with a little bit of weight on it. And I feel like seven foot is a good length that uh, allows me to cast under overhanging uh, trees and brush while at the same time uh, allowing me to, to mend and do some of the other things that I need to do. You can certainly fish with a shorter rod or a longer rod if that's how you prefer to fish mountain trout streams. But the brook trout and the mountains are only half of the equation of fishing Shenandoah um, and the park. Once you leave the park to the west, you actually run into the Shenandoah River. And actually, you run into the Shenandoah uh, South Fork. Uh, as you can probably deduce, there are three tiers to the uh, river. Um, there is the South Fork and the North Fork, then they run together, and the confluence is the Shenandoah River of uh, John Denver's um, Country Roads fame. And then they run into, well, they, it runs into the Potomac at Harper's Ferry. Um, it's a spectacular system. The North Fork and the South Fork are very different. When one is high and muddy, the other is going to be very fishable sometimes. Um, the main stem is wide and deep. Um, different places in all three rivers, you can get into catfish, you can get into musky, you can get into dinner plate size sunfish, um, you can get into carp. But the star of the show on all three systems, and especially the South Fork, which would be the closest to the national park, is smallmouth bass. Now, sadly, it's not the same fishery that it was 15 years ago um, when I started fishing it. But at the same time, it's a lot better now than it was um, even just a few years ago. Uh, there are big fish and there are lots of fish. They're not 
easy. It's not going to be something you're just going to be able to walk into the river and catch a trout, or excuse me, a, a bass, but sometimes you are just going to walk into the river and catch a bass. There are so many access points, it's phenomenal. But as is the case in any sort of fly fishing, the more you walk or float, um, the more seclusion you're going to find and the more untouched fish you're going to find. Um, there are so many bends in this river. There's so many miles of water. Um, there's so much width to this river that uh, you can even even walking across a river can make a difference in uh, in the fish that you're encountering. Especially in the South Fork, you're encounter um, ledges. You're gonna see lots of weed beds. You're going to find deep holes uh, up against banks that uh, provide some really interesting angling opportunities. Overhanging trees, island fishing fast riffly water there are so many opportunities it is mind-boggling there are low head dams which you know you should be careful around but they provide their own sort of fishing opportunities um, there are so many food sources uh, whether it be bait fish or insects the smallmouth are really uh, spoiled in this area how you fish it is totally up to you you can walk and wade you can also float it it's a river that's very well suited for canoes and kayaks, or if you want larger watercraft, they can also accommodate it, as long as you know how you're, you're, um, you're floating so that you don't uh, get into a, a really shallow spot or one of the uh, aforementioned dams. But you can fish it how you want from a angling perspective also. You can throw a sinking line with a eight weight and uh, pull big streamers along the bottom, or you can throw a popping bug in a very traditional smallmouth bass fishing sense. But these fish aren't pushovers. When we talk about bass, sometimes we think, well, you just chuck something by a lily pad and it's going to hop up and grab it. And not to disparage largemouth, which I really enjoy fishing, but smallmouth, especially in a river setting, um, are a very discerning fish um, unless there's exceptional circumstances happening. But this allows for something that I would really encourage everyone to do, whether they're fishing the uh, South Fork of the Shenandoah, um, another part of the Shenandoah River system, or another river that has smallmouth, and that's use traditional trout tactics to take these fish. They will respond so well to a dead drifted dry fly, whether it be a puffy mayfly, or a dragonfly, or a damselfly, or whatever else is coming off. Um, I've had great nights fishing caddis for smallmouth bass. Additionally, you can dead drift a nymph, whether that be a big helgramite or something else. Um, they will readily pursue and eat those uh, flies if they're presented well. They are as discerning um, as trout. And if you've been fishing mountain brook trout all day, you're going to feel stymied by how discerning these smallmouth bass can be if you're trying to fish for them this way. But especially in low water conditions, which you will encounter at certain times of the year on the South Fork um, or even the North Fork, uh, this, is, this might be the best way to do it rather than pulling a big, loud, um, double-barreled popping bug across the surface of the water. But as you become familiar with the river and as you, as you kind of identify the type of fishing that you want to fish, you know that there's certain parts of the river that are going to be deeper even during lower water months and there's going to be parts of the river that are going to be very easily weighted and you're going to be able to fish kind of however you want to fish. But I like fishing the heavier rods. Like I mentioned, an eight weight with a sinking line. I also like fishing a six weight with um, with smaller streamers and smaller dry flies. And uh, it's just a, a fun 
you know, way to mix it up. Carrying two rods is certainly a viable option, and that's something I'm going to mention later in the podcast. But something that's really cool about this is that you have the opportunity to fish for both fish in the same day. I've done this before um, when I lived in Northern Virginia. I've done it multiple times, but I've even done it such that I've worked the morning into the early afternoon, taken off and gotten out of the uh, the, the sprawl by about 2 o'clock, grabbed an early dinner on the right out there, was on the trout stream by about 4 o'clock, and fished until it started getting dark. And mountain dark, you know, woods dark is, is comes a lot earlier than you know, plains dark or, uh, you know, away from the mountains dark because you have all those trees and all that canopy. And uh, as the sun starts going down, especially if you're on the wrong side or the dark side of the ridge, then it feels like it's getting dark much, much sooner than it's actually getting dark. And so you fish on the trout until it starts getting dark. And the problem is, is you're probably still catching fish. So you have to make a conscious effort to pull yourself off of the river as you're still catching fish. But if you know what's coming, it's okay because you've been fishing for brook trout in uh, shadowy uh, conditions in the bright sunshine or just during the daytime. You come off of that, you get back to your car, you realize it's not that dark, you put away your three weight, you zip down the mountain at a safe speed, you zip over to the river again at a safe speed, you pull out your six or eight, your eight weight, and it's still bright enough to fish very effectively. And then if you know where you are, if you've fished in that spot before, if you feel confident you're waiting and you have a headlamp, then you can fish for smallmouth until after it gets dark. So you're talking a, a, a full day of fishing at the end of a workday, potentially, if that makes sense. I'd leave my uh, my home around 2 o'clock or work around 2 o'clock, and I'll be back um, at 10.30. And you're able to fish for brook trout and smallmouth in the same day. But more than just the fishing, um, there's a lot of history there. As I alluded to earlier, the story of Shenandoah National Park is really interesting. Oftentimes, we kind of think of the Park Service as being the white hat um, for conservation. Um, And I'm not saying that that's not the case with Shenandoah, but there is a lot of interesting history and a lot of interesting testimony about the culture and the people um, and their way of life that was there before the park and kind of the interplay between the Park Service and the Department of the Interior coming in and uh, preserving what is an amazing um, uh, plot of land for our public use, but kind of the impact that had on the, the, the local uh, culture. It's, it's definitely worth looking at and learning more about just because it's, uh, there, there's always more than one side to a story and there's always depth to a story. It's not about assigning blame or who's right or who's wrong but just understanding that uh, there's people that live there. You encounter those um, traces of culture as you're fishing. You come across a stone wall or a foundation or a chimney deep in the woods that's hundreds of years old. And uh, the fact of the matter is is that the uh, descendants of those people probably live uh, within uh, an hour's drive of where you're fishing. And so there's an interesting story there. There's also great food, the fried chicken, the fried catfish, the barbecue. It's all very, very healthy, um, but uh, that's definitely worth checking out if you're in that area. In the southern tip of the Shenandoah National Park, you find yourself near Charlottesville, which I don't have any statistics, but uh, that's probably the uh, craft beer uh, distillery and winery capital of the East Coast if you combine everything that's happening down there. And then as you go into Charlottesville, um, it's a remarkable food scene. But 
that's not to disparage what you find on the I-81 corridor. Some of those uh, restaurants and historical and tourism situations are just uh, mind-boggling how much there is. Um, great for families and great for folks that are interested in more than fishing. But you should absolutely check out the fishing. If you want more information, uh, Mossy Creek and Murray's are two great fly shops, and Bo Beasley's Fly Fishing Virginia is a book that's definitely worth checking out. My recommendation this week is the Vitavu Rod Holster. If you've ever wanted to carry two rods while fishing, this is by far the easiest solution for the walking and wading angler. I never liked taking two rods on the river, even though I thought it was the best way for me to fish if I was going to be out all day, because I hated laying a rod down, fishing and walking, and then having to go back and grab my rod. The Vitavu Rod Holster allows me to carry my second rod with me, whether I'm on a larger trout river and I want to fish my nymphing rod as well as my uh, dry fly rod, I can have one strapped to my hip and fish the other. Or if I'm wading a saltwater flat here in New England and I want a rod with a sinking line on it and then I want a rod that has a popping bug on it, I have the opportunity to carry both of those rods and quickly switch them out and always have them both with me at all times. And the way this is achieved is by the way that Vitavu designed this product is that it goes on your hip, and I'm a right-handed caster, so I would put it on my left hip, actually slightly towards the back. There's a loop at the bottom of the little uh, holder where you put your rod butt and then either a Velcro or a buckle system that holds your rod grip. And the rod kind of angles away at a 45 degree angle. So to my left is my rod that's not in use, to my right is my rod that is in use, and I can make virtually every cast I wanna make, whether it be overhead or a traditional cast or a roll cast, and my line and my rod are not gonna be interfered with by the rod that's strapped to my hip. Additionally, as long as there's not any trees or anything like that, you're able to move without any sort of encumbrance at all. So definitely check out the Vitavu Rod Holster. Vitavu is V-E-D-A-V-O-O.com. $25 from the buckle, which is the one I like. $30 for the one with the Velcro, which some people say is faster. Um, but it's definitely worth checking out if you have ever wanted to carry two rods uh, and not have to worry about putting them down and picking them up. Thank you for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.